Well, good morning, Anchor Church. My name is Ryan, and uh, I'm part of the family here at Anchor Church. It's so good to be here. I, I am married to my best friend and my beautiful wife here, uh, Jeanette, and uh, we have four children and two senior citizen dogs. We're just, we're happy to be a part of this family. We're celebrating Advent, and this is the third week in Advent, so we're, today we're talking about joy. Advent is about celebrating the four virtues that Jesus brings, hope, Peace, joy, and love. I, I think I scored by getting joy because I think it's the most Christmassy out of all the virtues. I even get a different color candle, if you notice here. So this is the Advent wreath here. It's a tradition that's been around for about 500 years, back to the time of Martin Luther, the reformer. But joy, the third week, was this sort of break in solemnity because it was a time of fasting and prayer. But pink symbolizes the anticipation of the coming Messiah. Isn't that cool? So, so joy, I think I scored by getting joy. Advent it comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming, and that comes from the Greek word in the Bible, which is parousia, which also means the coming. It's the coming of the Messiah. In the Bible, there are two advents. One advent is called the incarnation. That's eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. And the second advent is when he comes back to get his people, I guess that would be 140 pound, bearded, tatted, tattoo on the side, sword coming out of a mouth on a white horse, Jesus. But Advent is a time where we celebrate both, where, where Christmas is a time where, where people longed, who's this Messiah that's coming? And then now, every day since afterwards, we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. That's Advent. So if you're non-liturgical background like myself, I would even admittedly say, I grew up being sort of like anti-liturgical, so we don't want anything to do with this. So, I, so last couple weeks when we learned about um, Advent, I'm, I'm taking heavy notes. And so what I pray for you, if that's your background like me, I pray that Advent just is another thing that helps steer your affections for Jesus. That's what it did for me, and I hope it does that for you. It gets our eyes off of who he is and who we are in him. So uh, this, this light isn't meant to light up the whole room, but it also symbolizes that the coming of Jesus into the world is the coming of light into a dark place. That's who Jesus is, and that's who we are. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand so it gives light to the whole house. And so let your light shine that they might see your good works and praise the Father in heaven. So as you look at this, and as we go through our passage for today, you can say, that's right, Jesus Christ is light, and I'm light, and I'm called to be light in a dark world. So, so that's the Advent. Uh, two weeks ago, Dave Kim taught us that hope isn't this sort of wish, but it's an expectation. Confidence. Hope is confidence that the Lord is coming. And then after that, Pastor Chris Hassanpour taught us that peace is found in the presence of God. So if we want the peace of God, we draw near to the presence of God. So today we're going to talk about hope. If you would turn with me to our Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2. But before we get there, I want to talk about this Sunday school teacher we had. This, this was late 90s. We had a sweet Sunday school teacher at our church. Her name was Joy. We called her Ate Joy. Ate means big sister in the Philippines, and it was 
Ate Joy Dalo Dado. And she, I'll never forget this, with this bubbling personality and her sparkling braces, she goes, Ryan, you know what joy is? And I go, no, Ate, what is it? And she says, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And I, that's been etched on my heart for, for the past couple decades. And let that be an encouragement. Who, who, where are our children's Sunday school teachers here? God bless you guys, because you're going to teach things to our kids upstairs that they will never forget. And although kids might not be understanding everything, they're tracking everything. That's both a, a joy and, and, and frightening to me. <laughs> But for the parents, you get, we get upwards of 100 kids up there at Anchor Kids Church every Sunday, and they're going through the Gospel Project. It's amazing. That should excite you, and it excites me that our children are, are sitting under the good teaching of the Gospel, and they're going to bring that you know, 20, 30 years to the rest of their lives. So that Christocentric type Jesus freak paradigm that Jesus is always first, other people are, are better than me, I, they're more valuable than me and then myself last, that's actually from the scripture. You see that in scripture? Jesus is the Lord. I don't have any other lords because Jesus is the Lord. I don't have any idols because Jesus is the Lord and others are better than me because I've actually died to myself and I'm, I'm last. That's actually in the scripture. So we're going to go to that, but we're also going to go to our passage here, the Christmas passage in Luke chapter 2. Turn with me there. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. So we have here, this is the Christmas passage. What's the first thing that, that the angel says to the shepherds in the field? That's right, fear not. And then he says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I think, I think Jesus' entire mission on earth was about joy. I, I just think the whole thing was about joy. And I'll prove it to you. Just give me a couple verses here. At the beginning, before Jesus came, the night that Jesus came, that was the message that the angel brought. He said, I will bring you great news of great joy. That will be for all the people. So let's fast forward here. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about his disciples, and he's talking about abiding and keeping the commandments and love. And then he says this in 1511, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. I want to show you this picture that, that one of us, one of our people here at Anchor made, but it's, I said, how, how can we illustrate the fact that, that joy is, is in our hearts and it's supposed to overflow? If we're going we're gonna to show that, that's going to play in the background, but this is the picture that I got, um, one of our own designed this, but this is joy. It takes place in the heart. The heart is what the Greeks called the cardia. It, it never referred to a blood-pumping physical organ, but it was the deepest part of the person because we're all made up of body, soul, spirit, mind. The cardia was the deepest part of us. It's the thinking capacity of our being. And in that order, it's, it's my, my heart, and then my soul, and then my mind, and then my body. In that order, that's, that's where things go. So when we, when we get into the word, we're getting to the heart of issues. But joy is in the heart. And Jesus is speaking these things that their joy might be full. So he's talking about Jesus came. This is a vision he has for his disciples, that their hearts would be full of joy. 
Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than anything else in the scripture, did he not? The kingdom of God is everything. In fact, Jesus only mentioned church a couple times. So that to me, if, if I take the most important thing that Jesus talked about, which was the kingdom, then I should be living a kingdom-centric life. So I say that to say this. Uh, the, the kingdom culture trumps the church culture. You know what I mean when I say that? Like, we gotta be careful with elevating what we do at church and, and, and what we do in our church culture here. And we come in here and we sit down, you better be quiet, kids. And you, that's church culture. But we, what we should be teaching our kids is that we should be living kingdom lives, kingdom-centric that's why we should never rush our kids here. We should never, uh, I'm, I'm talking here to the leaders in the households, to the husbands, we should never berate our families to get them here or to jab them and say, you better behave because this is church. No, our kids need us. They need to see the kingdom at work in us so that they know that we don't need anything from them because we're freed up to love them and serve them and to be living kingdom-centric lives. Does that, does that make sense? Like, we don't want to teach our kids that Christianity is walking in this building, sitting in a chair, receiving a sermon. Life transformation doesn't happen with sermon on ears. It happens from life on life, doing life together. That's what we're role modeling for our kids. That's, that's kingdom life. So I say that to say this. Now, what's the kingdom of God all about? What's this kingdom that Jesus talked about? What's it all about? Look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Am I establishing a good case here that this whole thing is about joy? Maybe Christmas is all about joy. Maybe Jesus' mission in life was to come and give people joy and it would be full. Now, a couple hours before he dies, here's my last verse here, John chapter 17. This is his high priestly prayer. So what would you do if you only had a few hours to live? Well, this is what Jesus does. He prays. And so this is his last request to the Father. Let's see what he says. He says, Father, now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may, be, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Is that a pretty good case? A very, pretty good package of verses. This whole thing is about joy. This whole thing's about joy. Um, so now let's go back to our Christmas passage and let's see if we can notice all the instances of joy in the Christmas story. Okay, so let's go here to 11, our next verse. And verse 11 says, this is the angel still speaking, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you guys, for you shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What's, what's a manger? Anybody know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough for animals. We, we, we love animals. We have this dog who's, who's about 20 years old. It's pretty crazy. Andy Miller watched my dog. He thought the dog died when he was watching it, but, but we love dogs. And we have another dog. Uh, he's a Bichon Frise. His name is Shopao. Shopao is a, is a Filipino food that's white on the outside and meat on the inside, so <laughs> call him Shopao. Um, but we love our dogs. And you know how it's proof that we love our dogs? Well, whenever we go on vacation, we post on the city, can anybody watch our dogs? Because we want them in a home. We don't want to put them in a kennel because that's just, I, it's like doggy jail to us. So when we did pick a kennel, we picked the Hunt Club. That's like the Ritz-Carlton of all dog kennels, right? It's ex super expensive. And I, just, I told my wife, I don't want to see the bill. Just 
get him in there. We wanted to pick the cleanest place possible. So at the hunt club, you know, we've, we've partied there before. They have this lady who's a, who's a Bichon Frise, like she's like a black belt uh, champion, world champion Bichon Frise groomer, right? So I cut, the, I cut Chopin's hair with scissors. He looks like a mangy mutt. He looks homeless. And when I, when I brought him in, she goes, what happened? <laughs> and, and I go, we just want to drop our dog off. And she, and she takes Chopin, she, she goes, and she sort of shuns me, like shames me. She goes, it's okay, the Bichon mama's showing them to take care of me. And she's kissing this dog. The place is staffed, right? They're always mopping because dogs pee on the floor. The place is super clean. But I wouldn't let my kids touch the floor. I wouldn't. I would never let them sleep in that place. And I can't even imagine my wife giving birth to one of my kids in that place. Here's the point. Jesus was born in an animal shelter. Can you think about that? Jesus was born in an animal shelter. And, and like our dogs, the dog dish, that's dirty. I wouldn't put my baby in that thing. There's so much joy in this Christmas story. But we, it's sort of like we made it this cute little manger scene. And, and, and we missed the fact that that's some hardship there. Mary's probably a teenager. Joseph doesn't. He's like, how did she get pregnant? I've never. There's a lot of stress in the story but they, they are people of joy because joy is based off of truth. It's based off of a perspective of the faith and happiness is, is based off of a circumstance. C.S. Lewis said this, if we could show that. He, he wrote a book called uh, Surprised by Joy and he says there's nothing in his life that's more centric than joy. And um, he said that a distinction must be made between happiness and joy. See, joy is based off a of perspective, and, and happiness is based off of happenings. But in the scripture, if you see Mary and Joseph, the circumstance is really hard, but they have joy because joy is based off a of perspective. The truth that they just heard from the shepherds who heard it from the angels, and she treasured these things in her heart. So the circumstance didn't rock them, and they found great favor from the Lord. If we keep going here, verse 16, and they went with haste, that's the shepherds, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who had heard it wondered what, what the shepherds told them. Maybe these guys didn't have some credibility. They, they were marginalized and outcasts of society, but look at this woman of joy. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her and her heart, in the deepest part of her being, her heart is overflowing with joy. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That's, that's joy. Joy is based off of a perspective. It's, it's, it's happiness, it's an emotion, but it's not just a mood. It's confidence in who God is in his essence. So if God is, is faithful and if he's just and he's gonna deliver on his promises, that should create great joy in our heart. You know what? I read the end of this thing. It turns out pretty good for us. <laughs> we win in the end. What happens in any game? I don't care what your sport is, but you're up by 50 and there's uh, 30 seconds left on the clock. What do people start doing? 
they start rejoicing no matter what's happening. I could be on a hockey team, some of my team is getting punched in the face and we'd just be laughing because we're winning by 50 with one minute left on the clock. That's, that's Christianity here. You just read to the end. If you ever having a bad day, you're like, oh, he wins. So I won't let that have dominion over my life because I know what happens in the end. That's joy. Joy is all over the epistles. Look at, look at Paul, okay? Let's, let's, go to, let's go to Philippians 4. Philippians 4 here. So, so the Greek word for joy is kara. It's used 59 times in the New Testament. And in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's, it's sama. And they both refer to this inner gladness based off a of spiritual truth. In either case, joy is always a gift from God. What's a gift? It means you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but you got it. Sort of like Christmas. It's like, Wow. How much do I owe you? <laughs> Wouldn't that be insulting? No, it's a gift. So because joy is a gift, um, it's not something we earn or deserve. The verb form is uh, also from Quran. It's rejoice. But look at, look at Philippians 4, 4 here. Paul's speaking. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I don't know any other command in the scripture where he says the same thing in the same breath. This must be very important. Pop quiz. Where's Paul when he's writing this, this command to the Philippians? That's right, he's in jail. I thought someone was going to say the Philippines, but it's no. <laughs> Philippians is not written to the Filipinos. It's, uh, he's, he's actually in jail. Okay? How, how do you write from jail and say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always? That's great. You know where he was at? You know how this church plant got started? About 10 years prior, Paul, he's, he's um, let me, uh, all right, X them out. Okay. Lost my train of Oh, yeah, yeah, prison. Ten years prior, they're doing ministry. They set this girl free from a demonic spirit, and then they threw Paul and Silas in jail. I'm mixing up my stories. Yeah, they, they threw Paul and Silas in jail. This is Acts chapter 16. We won't turn there. But, but they got beat up, and they got shackled, and their backs are probably ripped open, bleeding out. And what are they doing in jail? They're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and they're praying. I meet with my good friend, uh, Matt Fisher, every Monday morning at 6, and we sit there, and we have breakfast, and, and, and uh, Matt's a good listener. Okay? He, he, doesn't really, he doesn't interrupt. He doesn't give me unsolicited advice, but there's this one time. There's this one time. I came in, and I was feeling some, in, like I was going through some injustice in my life, and I was like, hey, man, this is just unjust. And, and Matt responds. He goes, um, wasn't it? And he never does this, so it threw me off. He goes, wasn't it unjust when Paul was in prison? And then it hit me, and I go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I guess my only prayer should be, Lord, give me a hymn. Give me a hymn so I can start singing in the midst of this injustice. Now, I was right, but that, that's also an idol of mine. I want to be right all the time. I want to recognize that I'm right. Maybe that's the idol of power. I, I don't know, but, but I, it got torn down the moment I heard that truth. And I, I saw that example of someone who was going through a lot of injustice, but he had joy because joy is based off a of perspective and not my circumstance. If we're going to be anchored church, a, a place of joy where we foster and cultivate joy, that means none of us should be praying, Lord, change my circumstance. It should be, thank 
God, all the promises of God are yes and amen, and nothing needs to change, and I can have joy. Joy isn't, change him, bless me. Joy is this, bless him, change me. That's joy. That's Paul. Uh, Jesus, not only did Paul have joy, but Jesus had joy. Would we we not agree? You all know my, uh, some of you have, have heard my testimony. I came from a background of pride. I feel like a recovered Pharisee, you know, like... Pharisees Anonymous, meeting with a bunch. I, I want to. I knew a lot of Bible, but didn't have a lot of love in my heart. I knew a lot of stuff, but it wasn't reality in my home. And I heard this guy, uh, Professor Howard Hendricks. He goes, if it, he's speaking to a bunch of pastors at a conference. He goes, if it doesn't work in your home, then don't export it. And I was like, whoa, that's heavy, because I'm preaching a lot of stuff that I'm not practicing at home. I'm a recovered Pharisee. And, I, and furthermore, I just, just full disclosure here, I said, if you don't have a degree, I don't want, I don't want to hear from you. And if, you don't, if you're not the same gender as me, I don't want to hear from you. Yeah, God's delivered me from a lot of stuff. And those two in, in particular. So what did God do? As humorous as he is, he brings into my life a man who doesn't have a degree, never went to seminary, never pastored a church. He just fixed toilets for a living. His name was Dan Moeller. He, he, he was a plumber. And I'll never forget, Dan and I were sitting in my driveway. He had flown to Hawaii to go visit us, and we're sitting in his rental car on my driveway, and he asked this super hard question. He goes, why did Jesus die on the cross? Right? I'm like, almost insulted, like, you know who you're talking to? I said, it's easy. And I went all seminary, and I'm all for, for justification, for sanctification, for glorification, for the propitiation of sins, and he basically died for me because he loves me. And I'll never forget this. Maybe this is the day when I got saved, where the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. But he goes, I don't know, Ryan. You know, if you go to Matthew 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's kind of praying to get out of it, is he not? He's saying, Lord, is there a plan B here? Do I have to, can, can this cup pass? At the end of that, sweating drops of blood, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And then Dan takes me to to John chapter 8, where Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I do what pleases him. And I was never the same after that. I started to see things all through the lens of, oh my goodness, pleasing the Father is the objective that we should all have. And so that's the perspective of joy, is that I will do anything to please the Father, and that gives me joy. Look, look at Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. This is joy. That he did not go to the cross. I know this kind of rattles people, but like, wait, you're, talking, you're saying he didn't go to the cross for me? I think there was a great, I think Jesus went to the cross for the Father. I think God's about God. And I, 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 we're pretty awesome, but, but not that awesome. So Jesus is going to do something. It's going to be to please primarily him. That's what joy looks like in a community of believers, that we all exist to please the Father. When my kids come home from school, I don't say, hey, buddy, did you learn something today? Or did you have fun at school? Right, or what, what, do we, what, do, what does daddy ask you? That's right. Hey, buddy, tell me how you please the Father today. Thanks, Ryder. That's my buddy. Did you please the Father today? That, that consumes our house. Did you please the Father today? Am I going to do something? If I'm going to meet with Sam, and, and we're supposed to meet at 1230, and he doesn't show up till 1300, military time. Um, I'm not upset, because I didn't meet with him to please me. I met with him to please the Father. So 1300 comes around. I look up, Father, are you pleased that I'm here? Perfect, I'm free. 
I don't need to, I don't need to, where are you at, Sam? No, I'm free. Jesus, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, watch this, watch this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith, he does it all. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Anybody ever been crucified here before? I'm serious, I, I ask that because in the Philippines, every April, people are cru getting crucified every single year. They, they actually go through this whole ceremony. Anybody in here ever go, go through that? Okay, it looks miserable. So there's no happiness in going to the cross. It's quite miserable, but there's a lot of joy in it. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Well, we'd like to think it's for you and me, but it was for the Father. For the joy set before him, and did he endure the cross? It seems like Jesus said, you know, this is going to be rough, but Father, I will do what pleases you. And then his heart was filled with joy. That's all over the scriptures. Uh, one morning, I got this image in my mind. You ever get that when you woke up and you just have this image? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you how, how my friend illustrated this. But I got this image of a pie chart. And, and, on this, and on this pie chart was one little sliver. It was like 1%. And then the other part of the pie chart was 99%. Okay? There we go. And uh, it was as if I heard the voice of God saying, hey, Ryan, this little sliver here is is how much you complain against and you fight with your wife. And this other portion is um, how much you pray with her and you bless her. And you're a conduit of my grace, mercy, and peace to her, through you. And I go, whoa. It was so heavy. I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I'm pacing back and forth. And, and I wake up early every morning. I try to start my day um, super early. And I walk to the beach. I actually stick my hands in the sand. And I say, I've been, I've been buried with Christ. I've been resurrected to the newness of life. I just like, that's part of my, my routine. Some people drink coffee. I like to walk on the beach and, and surf. And that's where I start my day. So one day I started the car. And, and then I heard this voice again. And the, the, the good news was, hey, Ryan, I'm going to increase this thing. I'm going to do it through you, too. The more you pray with your wife, you don't pray with your wife. You don't bless her. You complain about her and you fight with her. But I'm going to change that because I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. So I, literally, I was going to the car and I go, ah. And the Holy Spirit was saying, get back in there. Get back in there and pray with your wife. Get on your knees and hold your wife's hands and bless her. And I'm like, oh, but the car's warming up. And, and I'm like, ah. But, and then and it hit me. I'm in a spiritual battle right now. Joy is a fight. We fight to get to joy. So I'm, as I'm doing this, I'm praying, oh, Lord, I confess. I, I was going to be selfish right now. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. I don't get a vote here because I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's Galatians 2.20. I've been buried with Christ in the baptisms of his, of his death. That's Colossians 3. Oh, Lord, Romans 6.4. I've been raised to the newness of life. So I surrender to you and I do what pleases you, Father. I'm going to go back in the house and I got on my knees and my hands and I held my wife's hands and, and we're praying. And then the first, it's like 5.30 in the morning. So whatever kid first walks out, um, how many do we have again? Uh, there's four. So whatever, whatever one comes out, we, we lay hands on them and we pray. And God's been increasing this slice in my life. And it's a life of joy. I was missing out on so much joy for so long. And God's saying, the joy that I give you is much greater than getting in the car and being practical and doing, going about your day. The life of joy is I get to die to myself today. 
Man, that's the gospel. That's the cross. That's the fight for joy. And when we fight for joy, we're all, we ought to do it as a community. The vision of Anchor Church is that we want to create a community where people find hope in self. No, in Jesus. And so we do these things together. We join at the hip and we say, man, you're struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. Let's struggle together. Let's do this together. And so I'd call my buddies. Some, some guys are in this room giving me praise reports. Hey, man, I prayed with my wife today. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. So that thing gets to die. But the flesh goes, oh, don't let me die. Be, be selfish one more day and it feeds me. And I go, no, 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 I've died to that. I, I, this, this one chaplain told me, he goes, yeah, but you still get to be human. No, I'm pretty sure I died to myself. And last time I checked, dead people don't get a vote. They just don't because they're dead. So every time I want to be selfish, I go, thank God I died to that. Even in no matter what emotion I'm feeling, I thank God for it because I thank God that that's not my identity. If God's mission is for us to have joy, and I think I pretty much established that case. That's like bulletproof now. Just kidding. But if, if God's mission is to give us joy and that our joy would be full, then what's the enemy's tactic going to be? It's probably just kill, steal, and destroy or steal our joy. But if he can't, you know, I'm looking around the room. If he can't get us to get into overt sin, he'll probably get us more of a sneaky tactic. So if if he's not going to get someone to like, you know, do drugs or, or something, something overtly, he'll probably say, well, put your joy in that. Isn't that what idolatry is? It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Church culture can be an idol. Getting here on time could be an idol. That could be how the enemy's influencing you. He's not telling you to smoke weed or to, to shoot up heroin. He's telling you, get your kid in there. You better shut him up. When... And then when you get here, you can sing some songs. That, that's elevate. That's, that's making church an idol. That's making ministry an idol. Anything can be an idol because it could be a good thing that's a bad thing. I have a lot of friends that, that have constant reminders. Um, I, I have a friend that has a tattoo on her arm. It says, uh, child of God, my only true identity. I have another friend who's he got a sweet belly rock. It says, son of God. And I probably won't get one of these things, but I, I, I appreciate and I like the idea of the constant reminder. I said, if I ever got a tattoo, maybe, maybe, maybe it would say something like, it's not about me, like right here. It's not about me. <laughs> Something big, something that will rock my world and, say, and get my truth back on the Lord because joy is based off a of perspective instead of my circumstance. So maybe I ought to do that because maybe it's not about me. Um, I want to show one last verse in, in Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 3, just, just to drive home this point that, that when Jesus came, he came to give us joy he came to give us great joy. They were actually, the word in there is mega joy. Mega joy. But look, look at this passage in Habakkuk. It's, uh, though the fig tree, I'm going to read it from the message. This is the message up here. This is ESV. Are we allowed to read the message in here? Okay. This is good. I like it because it mentions cartwheels. Look at this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master's strength. So that's not, the, that's, not the, that's okay. That's not the message. The message version talks about doing cartwheels for God. That's why I want to throw it up there. That's a bad situation. There, there's no food. There's no money coming in. I got no job. But I'll rejoice in the Lord. That, that's a perspective that, that cannot be shaken. Um, Advent is about the coming of joy into the world. Jesus' life was all about joy. When the angel said, great joy, Luke uses that word all throughout his Luke and Acts. You know, when, they, when, the, when Jesus leaves the 99 sheep and he finds the one, there's great joy, mega joy. When the lady finds her coin, there's great joy. When one sinner repents, there's great joy. Jesus came to set us free from ourselves. Did he not? I think one of the greatest freedom you can, you can experience is freedom from yourself. What's the ultimate test that I'm free from me? The test that I'm free from me is that I'm free from you. And I'm free from you because I don't need anything from you. That's what Jesus came to give me. I don't need a pat on the back, although it feels pretty good. I don't need compliments, although they feel good every time you compliment me. I don't need anything. I don't need to control you. I don't need power over you. I'm set free to love and to serve you. That's my prayer for us, Anchor Church, that the coming of Christ in the second advent, as well as the first, reminds us of who he is, light, and who we are in him. Let's, let's pray.